Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Our listener support slash appreciation campaign continues. You can fill out our brief advertising service at adsurvey.greatdetectives.net. That would be truly appreciated. And if you want to support the podcast on an ongoing basis, you can become one of our Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month at patreon.greatdetectives.net. And as a Patreon subscriber, you will receive a monthly newsletter for me giving you updates on what we're planning with various shows and projects. Well, this week we're doing our Twice Told Tale, and it's going to be a special one. As the first telling of this tale didn't actually air. I think this is an interesting one to share as we've recently finished the Sam Spade series. And we talked about Howard Duff and how and how the series was canceled due to Duff's being named as a communist sympathizer in Red Channels. From everything I've read, Duff was no communist. His dismissal heard listener discontent and led to an avalanche of postcards and letters by people who wanted Sam Spade back on the air. And NBC brought Sam Spade back, but not with Duff in the role. Instead, the role went to Steve Dunn. While I think that Dunn did a good job, the series failed to attract a sponsor. And the series would be canceled for good at the end of April 1951. The same week that Sam Spade was about to be canceled, the man most associated with that role, Howard Duff, actually recorded a pilot program for NBC for a new detective series called The McCoy. And here is that unaired audition from April 24th, 1951, Three Wayward Girls. This is the McCoy. The National Broadcasting Company presents the McCoy, starring Howard Duff. door open. What do you want me to say to your door? Sesame? All right. Sesame. Is there anything I hate? It's a door that has to be coaxed. Take that. Mike McCoy, Criminal Investigations, file number 354, 22 April 1951, Los Angeles, California, where else? Case, the uh, Three Wayward Girls. It was 520 of a dirty day, 
The sun beat through the smog and still had strength enough to kiss the summer dresses walking Sunset Strip. The girls walking their poodles home to Daddy, who'd had a hard day at the office. Having nothing better to do, the dogs and I chatted. I uh, took my leave, and I tiptoed through the Cadillacs, patted their saucy fishtails, watched my hand turn green, then walked into Shea Mason's on the strip. The kindly picture folk were already there, exchanging pills from matching cloisonne pill boxes and discussing the high cost of nervous breakdowns. Then Herm, the maitre d', saw me, ad-libbed his way through all that box office gold, offered me two things. Mabel knew she'd phoned three times, and the specialty of the house... Admiral Haughty Goulash with matzo balls. I took the matzo balls. The fork was cutting through their delicate contours when there was a hand on my hand. Fool that I am, it annoyed me. But when I saw that the moist hand on mine belonged to Phil Gardner, peddler, talent agent, shill for plaid dinner jackets, it annoyed me even more. Only a minute, Mike. Scooch over a little bit. I'll sit down next to you. You want something, huh, Phil? I'll tell you how I know. You keep licking your lips, your handshakes, which reminds me, take back your hand. I've had it. Mike, I want you to go to work for me. Right now. From this minute, you're on salary. Yeah, with expenses. Per diem. Philzy, my monster balls are growing colder. It's for Toby. Toby Drake. I'm putting you on the payroll. You remember Toby? Built you up to her? Gave you a knockdown to her? You had a season's pass with her. You remember Toby? What's the matter, Phil? The girl getting lonely for the McCoy again? Mm -hmm. Lonelier than you know, Mike. The girl's being threatened. With phone calls, with poison letters. You're doing real good, Phil. Mike, Mike, listen. Listen close because I'm going to almost whisper. Well, that should be refreshing, but not so close. Somebody's going to kill her. Yeah, murder her dead. Toby's my client. It shouldn't happen to my client to die from an anonymous threat. You tried, Phil. You really did. Uh, Mr. Gardner, there's a phone call for you. Will you take it here? Thanks, Charlie. Mike, you've got to pay attention to me. you got to. I got uh, matzo balls. Gardner speaking. Snap it out. I'm busy. Huh? Huh? No. Yeah, huh? No. Yeah. Phil, why don't you talk to me like that when you talk to me? You're dynamite with monosyllables. Oh, but now you'll believe, skeptic. Toby's dead. No jokes, Phil. I'm not in the mood. Her boyfriend just called. I should be the first to know. I tell you, she's dead. Dead? If you're kidding me... Look, I'll drive you over in my cab. I'll put the top down, Mike. Sure. Sure. You wouldn't want to go to a funeral any other way, would you, Phil? His way. There, you see? You see, Mike? What did I tell you? She's dead. My client. Shut up. The place was swarming with new things. New chintz curtains, fresh upholstery, and Beverly Hills Oriental knickknacks cluttering the Grand Rapids high boy. There was a big overstuffed chair near the door that I remembered. And Phil climbed into it and put his chin in his hands to watch. I walked over to the three-piece sectional. Toby Drake was lying there, her hand trailing down on the floor. I couldn't see her face until the big man stood up. Somebody wrapped that black silk stocking too tight around her neck. You know her, Mike? Yeah, I knew her when she looked better. I liked her. She laughed at my jokes. You wrapped the stocking? You only ask because you're a cop, huh, Koska? I only ask because if I were a cop, I'd ask. The call came and said, get here because there was a dead girl named Toby Drake. And on the way down, I toyed with the name. Then I remembered she used to laugh at your jokes. And all of a sudden, you're here. Why? Ask him. What is it? Something they have around town, an agent. He's Toby's. He's an agent? Hmm. I got a look. You're an agent, eh? Well, now. Well, well. 
Let me bend my face close because I've never seen one of you before. Talk to me, Agent. I want to hear. Well, Lieutenant... Just Detective Casca. Go ahead, go ahead. It, it was like this. Mike and me sit there at Mason's, chewing fat. And the phone was brought over. The man on the other end says it's Roy Fulton. And he says his girlfriend's dead. Honest, I, I'm broken up about this. Well, now. Well, well. You wrap the stocking agent? Me wrap? Leave him alone, Casca. Leave him alone. Agents only kill other agents. Thanks a lot, Mike. I'll jot it down in the book. You've been hired, Mike? I was, but I don't know if I'm still working. You're working? All the way, Mike. Find out for me who killed my client, Toby. Oh, you're hired. Oh, these guys employ you, huh? Look, Casca, I got a crummy license and I'm in a crummy business because people sneak up dark alleys, because people hate, people rob, people strangle. That's where my money comes from because people do all those things. What do you want me to do? Apologize for earning a buck? You want me to crawl? Or maybe just bow low enough so you can pat me on top of the head and say, Oh, now, Mike. Oh, now, Mike. Yeah. Where's the boyfriend? He's in the bedroom. He's a guy by the name of Roy Fulton. He hardly says a word to me. Maybe you're not his type. Well, go talk to him, Mike. Go tell him it's okay that you should talk to him. Let me count the ways I love thee to the depths and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. I... Go on. Go on. I like it. Who are you? I'm uh, Mike McCoy. I'm a criminal investigator. Toby's dead. She was murdered, Mr. Fulton. I'm trying to find out who did it. We had a date. I came here. I saw her. I didn't lose my head. I called her agent. Then I called the police. Did you kill her? No. But she should have been more careful. Girls like her. What kind of a girl did you think she was? Very pretty. In my whole griefs, in my childhood's face, I love thee with a love... Uh, Mr. Fulton... I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath... Mr. Fulton, Smiles, I... tears of all my life, and if God choose, I shall but love thee better after I couldn't get through to him anymore. The poetry he spotted stood between us. In his own way, Mr. Fulton was grieving. So I got out of the place. Then a fascinating 20 minutes on the center lane of Pico Boulevard, getting dared by the pedestrians and the swarms of cars on both sides of me. The parking lots had just hung their 50 cents till closing signs when I drove up to the office building on Olive. Then to the corner of Beanery and a few reminiscences about Toby Drake. Toby, a kid who had once won a title, something like Miss Donegal Tweed of Patterson, New Jersey. Expenses paid to Hollywood, shake hands with the stars, lunch at the Derby. A nice kid. A pretty kid. Now dead. I bought a paper and went upstairs. Sesame. I had to rent an office that once belonged to a Persian rug merchant. Preston Call Service. McCoy, baby. Any calls for me? You know who, Mike? Mabel? Four times. What happens to a girl when she goes out with you? She's got a call every half hour and a half hour? I'm delicate. They worry. You worry about me, Judy? Cut it out, Mike. You worry about me, don't you, kid? You got another call with a message. You want it? Sure, Judy, sure. Go ahead. I'll listen. Goes like this. First Toby, then Stella Martin. You can't stop it, McCoy. First Toby, then Stella Martin. You add living, Miss Judy? It says right here. Who left the message? The man said it and hung up. What Stella Martin do you mean? I wish I knew, baby. We had a Stella Martin who used this service a long time ago, an actress or something. I used to get calls for her. You discontinued. You got an address on her? No more. 
Why don't you try central casting? They'd know. Yeah, yeah, I should have thought of that. Thanks a lot. Take this card, Mr. McCoy. Take it. Uh, yes, Miss Ford. Fill it out. Central Casting wants to know your age, weight, height, color of eyes. They do? Uh, it does? Gosh. You're fresh. You're new. They'll eat you up. Hmm? Uh, for color of eyes, put heart shattering robin's egg blue. I haven't been well. Uh, the space where it says experience? Leave it blank. I'll fill it in myself. Steady girl. Two can play at that game. It'll all be so simple. You put yourself in these two hands. I devote myself to you, heart and brain. Mm -hmm. Make you the most exciting thing in pictures. The most exciting. Uh, study, girl. Heel, heel. Don't back away from me. Don't be frightened of me, Mr. McCoy. It's not that I'm frightened, Miss Ford. It's just that my metabolism's a little sluggish today. You're a fool. Worse. A hard-headed, stupid, moronic, cretin fool. Hard-headed? I'll tell you outside what you want to know. Get out. No, no. Now, you tell me, baby. Hmm, baby? What do you want? Well, right now, the address of Stella Martin, actress, after that, we'll uh, meet in conclave, shall we? I'll have to look it up. In the file. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Stella Martin dropped from our ready file. Non-payment of dues. Oh, uh -huh. Well, there must be an address where you done it. Las Flores Hotel on Selma. Las Flores Hotel. Well, that burned down last month. It should happen to you, Mr. McCoy. <sighs> Come on, I'll open a door for you. No hard feelings, huh, baby? Miss Ford, baby? I'll remember you always. Bye. Cute kid. Make a note, McCoy. Must wear a chest protector. Hey, Mike. Mike, over here on the car. I called your phone service, Mike. They told me where you were. I've been looking for you. You're taking my money. You don't even call me on the telephone. You know a girl named Stella Martin, Filsey? Stella. What's she got to do with Toby's guy? You know her, Filsey? Well, a couple of weeks ago, a girl came in my office, Stella Martin, pleaded I should put her on my client's list. Only no talent, you know what I mean? To soothe her tear-stained face, I took her home. Lives all the way to Westchester. I've never been to Westchester. Make it come true, huh, Filsey? It was just nine o'clock when Agent Phil let me off in front of a redwood frame house in Westchester. Then he suddenly remembered he had to pick up a client at the airport, and speedy Phil Gardner, game to the core, went back into the traffic again. The walk up to the house was lined with rose trees, carefully tended, and on every fourth one, there was a rose. But there was only one doorbell, so I knew just what to do. You want what, mister? Stella Martin. She live here? You're who? Mike McCoy, Investigations. You got a card that says that? Let's go inside, huh? Just you got a card. Just show me. Is Miss Martin here? No card. If I say, yeah, she's here, then what happens? I said inside. <laughs> now, where is she? I'm glad you pushed me, son. Now I got a reason. What? No! When I opened my eyes, the guy was still there, all seven feet of him. You ain't gonna take me, Shamus. You ain't gonna take me. Oh. This time, I played at Brainy. I peeped first. He was gone. I got to my feet. I got to my feet. Fell down, then finally made it over to the hallway where there should have been a bathroom and a towel and some water. The thing that stopped me was the girl in the negligee. She was sitting on the floor against the wall. 
She was blonde, and her head was turned to one side as if she was wondering about me. There was a stocking tied around her throat, and she was dead. And now, back to the McCoy, starring Howard Duff. I didn't know whether I'd been out for a few minutes or a few days. I decided on the minutes because the girl's body was still warm and death hadn't taken charge long enough to wipe the prettiness out of her face. I'd seen her a couple of times long ago in the jungle picture spliced between the main feature and the newsreel, the girl in the puttees who gets chased by the lion, Stella Martin. I stopped trying to convince myself it wasn't real. It was real, all right, and I didn't need the pounding on the door to knock it into my head. I didn't need Casca either, but I had him. What is this, Mike? You want a rampage? You want to know what happened, or you want to be a big man? Now, just be gentle with me. That's all I want you to do, Mike. Fifteen minutes ago, I was in a warm bed. Just be gentle. I got slugged. A man seven feet tall in a black leather jacket. Hmm. Look, Mike. I spent five hours questioning Roy Fulton about the murder of his girlfriend, Toby. Nothing. He quoted poetry. Then I climbed into this warm bed, and I was sleeping fine. Then Sergeant Hurd called. It seems someone phoned in this address to Sergeant Hurd. You were saying what, Mike? She's in the hallway, propped up against the wall. Show me. Here she is. She's young, and she's strangled, and her name's Stella Martin. You want to clear it up for me? You want to listen about a guy in a black leather jacket? Seven feet tall, ain't he? Yeah, seven feet tall. Find him. That shouldn't be tough for a sharp fellow like you. Now, don't be sour on me, Mike. You took some lumps and you... Hmm. You see this, kid? What? This. She's holding something in her hand. Well, now. Well, well. Read it, Mike. Read what it says on the paper. There'll be another one tomorrow, McCoy. Another one tomorrow, McCoy. McCoy. Well, now... What makes me so popular, Costco? Why doesn't it say your name? Why doesn't it say Sergeant Hurd? Because it says McCoy. Because it says the name of a guy I stumble over when I get out of a warm bed. Because you know things you're not telling me and you're not going to tell me because you think it's clever to obstruct justice. What am I going to do with you, Mike? Take you downtown and sweat you... Watch you be a hero because you won't tell me what you know. Get out of here, Mike. Get out. And then to my room in Las Palmas, pull the Murphy bed down, adjust the beaten frame to the broken spring, and lullaby yourself to sleep with what makes two girls dead from a pair of silk stockings. What made Stella Martin and Toby Drake so close they had to hug death in the same way? And the next morning, Saturday, torn out of sleep by the sound of a mockingbird screaming the name of Phil Gardner, agent. I told them to button their bills and went there. Girls drop like flies where you walk, McCoy. Uh, turn your gyp sheet into my girl in the cashier's cage. She'll pay you off. Kiss you goodbye for the firm. She'll also give you all the messages from Mabel we've been taking for you. Uh, what's the matter, Phil? Only yesterday we were in love, you and I. So what does it buy me? A lousy ride to a place where the morning paper says a, a husband is dead? Call her by name, Phil. Because you must have called her by name lots of times. Stella Martin. Let me hear you say it. Okay. Now, 
Keep away from me, Mike. I told you, I, I hardly knew the dame. Say a name, Phil. She's dead. The least you can do for her is to say a name. <laughs> no. Say it. No. Or else she'll break my arm. Huh? Here, here, and here. Stella. Stella Martin. You kill her, Phil? My arm, Mike. I'll need her to sign your check. How long have you known Stella? Uh, three months ago, pickup from Dorcas Drive-In on Santa Monica. A guy gets lonesome for a car hop like Stella. A friendly pickup, so help me. You did lovely, Phil. Now, tell me one thing more. You know a man who wears a leather jacket who's seven feet tall? Oh, somebody help me. I got a madman loose. Bye, Philzy. For two lovers like we, you've made the morning stink. I got to the drive-in on Santa Monica. A cowgirl with a menu and a pair of heavy-duty sheer dungarees threw a card on my windshield that said Phyllis on it. Dorcas, she asked back. Why, that's old Mel over that away, mixing up a parcel of nuts and cheese for the Super Burgers. I, uh, moseyed on over to old Mel, but the critter saw me coming and snapped his galluses at me. Howdy. Yep. Do tell. Uh, Mike McCoy, criminal investigation. Melvin Dork, a short order feller. Howdy. Howdy. You the manager of this place, Mel? Former. Figures. Hmm? Tenderfoot talk, don't let it throw you. I, uh, need some information, Mel. Who'd you say you be? Uh, uh, Mike McCoy, Criminal Investigations, I be. Don't be a gravel kicker, son. Speak up. What's on your mind? Know a girl named Toby Drake, Mel? Knowed her. Used to work here. One named Stella Martin? Yep. She's due to work this morning. She ain't gonna make it, though. She's dead. Her and Toby. Choke. Clean it in the Gazette. I need your help, Mel. Oh, deputizing me, huh? Well, I don't know. I just don't know. If you don't help, there's liable to be another dead girl. Yeah, Peggy. Who? What's the matter with you, son? You got monkeys in your ears. I said Peggy. Peggy Bryan. On account of them three girls with thicker than a bobcat's tail. Do tell. Thicker than that even. Peggy used to work here, too. Drove to work in Toby's auto. You know where I can find Peggy? North Hollywood she lives in. You wait a little bit. I'll dig up her address. You want to wait, son, or do you got to be riding on? You'll wait, won't you? I'll wait, Melv. I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> Before you kill me. Give me that gun. Come on. That's better. Kill. That's what you've got. To kill me. No, no, no. Let's scream inside. We want to make talk to the neighbors inside, Peggy. Come on. Hush, baby girl. Hush. See? I'll let you go. Nothing to be scared of. Don't do that. Scream, but don't do that. Kill me. Get it over with so I can rest. Kill me. Try to understand. I'm an investigator. I'm hired out. Sometimes I keep people from dying. Sometimes I don't make it. Now, help me, baby, so I can help you. That way will save us both a lot of pain. You're so frightened. It's because I'm so frightened. Sure. Now, uh, whoever killed Toby and Stella, why would they want to kill you? Tell me, Peggy. Uh, a woman was killed. We killed her. What woman? I don't know. I can't even remember her name. It was three years ago. Toby, Stella, and I, we had a little car, a jalopy. And one day, one day. One day what? This woman crashed into it. It was her fault. Honest, it was her fault. And she was killed. A married woman. The police said it wasn't our fault. 
It's the only reason. Why else would anyone want us dead? It's Saturday, Peggy. What do you do with yourself on Saturday? I shop for groceries. For a new hot dress sometimes. I, I need a new one. We'll go buy you one. And tonight. What'll we do tonight? You mean you're asking me for a date? Mm-hmm. What'll we do tonight, Peggy? Saturday nights, I usually go to Ocean Park. It's fun. Rides and people, the fellas. It's fun. Sure it is. Saturday night, Ocean Park. We'll have fun. Then I made a lot of phone calls to my call service to tell them I was going to Ocean Park with a girl named Peggy Bryan. They told me that Mabel was keeping her line open for me. I told them to tell Mabel to, uh, to keep it open. Then I called Agent Phil Gardner and let him know where I was going. Next, I got Casca on the phone. I didn't tell him anything. I asked him something. But no tall man in a black leather jacket was newly arrived in the pokey. Finally, I called Roy Fulton, Toby's boyfriend, the man who quoted poetry, and let him know all about my plans for the evening. And then, nothing daunted, I took Peggy Bryan by the arm, opened the door for her, and bowed her into my car with a flourish. Ocean Park, I bowed her out. The least I could do was to make it gay for her. After all, she was my personal pigeon. Let's just walk for a while, Mike. Whatever you say. You hungry, Peggy? Uh-uh. Let's go on the roller coaster. Sure. Peggy. What? Just stand still for a moment. Look around you. See anybody you know? No, Mike. Let's go on the roller coaster. Right. <laughs> like it, huh? Excuse me, Mike. It's fun. Sure it is. Sure. Want to eat now? I always have fried shrimp when I come to Ocean Park. Yeah, me too. I know what you're doing, Mike. Sure you do. I'm on a Saturday night date with a nice girl. You think you'll find me here, Mike? You want me to level, don't you? Is she going to kill me? Not while I'm here. Come on, let's eat. Two tickets, please. Thanks. Let's go, Peggy. Stay close to me, Mike. A girl can get lost in the funhouse. A girl can get lost, period. Mike. Oh, Mike. What's the matter, honey? Nothing. I'm having such a good time. You ever been through that spinning barrel? I always fall down. I'll hold your hand. Mike. What? That man. Huh? That man over there. He watched us buy our tickets. Which man? The tall one. The one wearing that black leather jacket. Yeah, I see him. Peggy, walk through that spinning barrel. Fall down if you have to, but get right up and get out on the other side. Is he the one? Go on, I'm right in back of you. He's following us. Get out of this thing fast. I'm staying. I've been telling you something. I've been waiting. Get out of there. Get out of there. All right, now talk. Talk or say, help me. You crazy, Sherman. Talk! 
You think I killed her? I didn't kill Stella. She was dead when I got there. I swear she was dead. Yeah, yeah, sure she was. And you come in, I went crazy. I wanted to kill something to get even. Why are you following me? Because you're a shamus. If you get to the killer, I want a piece of him. I didn't kill Stella. You gotta believe me. You gotta. <laughs> Peggy, what's the matter? The mirror! Look! The mirror! He was in the mirror, all right. His reflection in the crazy, rippled mirror of the funhouse. Roy Fulton's reflection. Long and thin, as if he'd been squeezed together. This time, there was no poetry. Just a gun. I pulled Peggy down on the floor with me. The crowd scattered, and there was nothing in Fulton's way. It's her I want, Mike! It's her! I was lucky. My shot got to him. But he kept coming. Then it caught up with him. But he didn't fall. Fulton. They killed my wife. They killed Sesame. Hello, Miss Ford. Remember me? You wanted me for the uh, talking pictures? Yeah. Uh, Mike. Mm-hmm. Oh, you saw it in the papers. That's right, Roy Fulton. Yeah, his wife had been killed in the automobile accident, and he blamed those three girls for it. He was uh, definitely off his rocker. Uh, baby, uh, baby Miss Ford, uh, what are you doing tonight? A ballet dancer. Instead of me? But a ballet dancer. Miss Ford, Miss Ford, Miss... I'll be seeing you with all your old familiar faces. Hello, uh, Mabel. This is the McCoy. The McCoy, starring Howard Duff, is written, directed, and produced by David Friedkin and Morton Fine, with music composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. This has been an NBC Hollywood Program Department presentation. Welcome back. The opening line, this is the McCoy, is the entire reason for doing the audition. Or at least it's the entire reason for the show's name. The McCoy, more commonly today, the real McCoy, is an idiom for the genuine article. The exact origins of this phrase are very murky. Some have tied it to prohibition. Yet there are 19th century uses of the phrase, and some even suggest it may go back to medieval Scotland.
Historically, the McCoy is actually the correct term. Walter Winchell wrote a 1934 column where he addressed it, saying the real McCoy was redundant because the McCoy meant the genuine article. Uh, and he put the real McCoy in the same class as things like Stingy Miser or Exclusive Scoop. Of course, 90 years later, the real McCoy is looked on as the most popular phrase. If you said the McCoy, most people would look at you oddly, even though you'd be right. The series is an intriguing one. The pilot had talented writers in that writing team of Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The theme was by Walter Schumann of Dragnet fame. And you had a really good guest cast. Even though it wasn't credited, it sounded like Sheldon Reynolds played Costa in one of the least accented roles I've heard him play. I also heard Ed Max and Kathy Lewis, and then Barton Yarborough as the foreman of the drive-thru. I guess that's a reminder that Yarborough still found time to keep up a whole lot of extra radio work while playing Ben Romero on Dragnet. The feel of the series is kind of odd. On one hand, there are little nods to Sam Spade, such as the McCoy whistling and his flirtatious interactions with women, and also some of the jokes. On the other hand, you have signature hard-boiled writing and dialogue that define... Uh, Fine and Freakin's work with Lieutenant Danny Clover. So thus the series comes off as a strange marriage between Sam Spade and Broadway is my beat. I don't know if that contributed to it not being picked up. My two big guesses would come down to, first of all, it was 1951, and it was very hard to launch a new radio detective program as television had already started to bring in more revenue than radio. Uh, there were plenty of pilots recorded for radio programs that didn't make it to air that a year or two earlier very well could have done. And two, it was just too soon. Duff had been fired from Sam Spade seven months previously due to his inclusion in Red Channels. I've heard Duff's situation described as a gray list. It wasn't that he couldn't find work. It was that the work was limited. He would appear in quite a few B-movies, including a science fiction film, and really didn't get back to getting the sort of roles that he deserved based on his talent, probably until 1954. At any rate, the series wasn't picked up, and the script could be reused. And it was for John Lund's run as yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The script was reworked as The Starlet Matter, which aired on January 16th, 1953. Let's go ahead and take a listen. From Hollywood, it's time now for John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. Ken Ralston, Johnny. Oh, hi, Ken. How's Kansas City? Oh, take my word, in Hollywood it's better. Oh? You always liked Hollywood, didn't you, Johnny? You want me to? Well, there's a man there named Phil Gardner. He's up to here in Starlets. In what? Starlets. Young girls with big careers in front of them. Phil Gardner's an agent for him. So he needs me? Oh, we do, Johnny. Twin State Insurance. 
Gardner's been calling me every half hour. It's, uh, it's like this, Johnny. Gardner's insured a few of these starlets with us. One in particular for 50 grand. So? So, mostly Gardner's been babbling. He says this starlet in particular might not live. Babble, somebody wants her dead any second. You like Hollywood, Johnny? Commission? Fat. Real fat. Hollywood. I like it. John Lund in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Twin State Insurance Company, Kansas City, Missouri. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Starlet matter. Expense account item one, $227.70. Airfare round trip on coach out of LaGuardia, flight 601, flying west. Some 3,000 bumpy miles later, the plane circled Los Angeles in a part of the Pacific Ocean and taxied down the runway at International Airport. It was 3.20 of a dirty afternoon. Expense account item two, 4.40, cab fare to Sunset Ruxton Hotel, my home away from home in Hollywood. Where I checked in, renewed old acquaintances with Judy, the telephone girl, put my pale cheek against her suntan and told her I'd see her later. Expense account item three, two dollars even, to Beverly Hills' office of Phil Gardner, agent. He was not in. The receptionist in silver hair pointed a silver fingertip across the street and said, that's where? Shea Scotty's. Restaurant. And Mr. Gardner would be dressed with two vents in the back, a tattersall vest, and blue suede sandals. And you know, he was. So you're the boy they sent from KC, huh? Wait, I'll scooch over a little. You can sit down. Yeah, thanks. What's your name? Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Ah, you want to see a picture, Johnny? Yeah, take a look. That's Toby. Toby? Toby Drake. You've seen her in pictures. I have. You're living. You must have seen her in pictures. Loyal moviegoers like you are going to make a star out of Toby. Well, I'm happy for both of you. If she lives, somebody's going to kill her, Johnny. Murder her dead. Now, she's a sweet kid. It shouldn't happen to her to die from these anonymous threats. Look, why don't you give it to your press agent? Johnny, believe me, on my knees, I tell you. If I want publicity, I give it to the cops. I'm not kidding, Johnny. The kid's scared. She's in a lot of trouble. I'll call for you, Mr. Gardner. I'll plug it in here. Oh, thanks, Charlie. Right this way. Gardner speaking. Snap it out. I'm busy. Huh? No. Yeah, huh? No. Yeah. Skeptic. Huh? I just called you skeptic. What's that mean? Toby's dead. Her boyfriend called. I should be the first to know. I'm sorry. Look, I'll drive you over there. You, you'll want to see for insurance purposes, huh? I'll use the jag. I'll put the top down. Sure. You wouldn't go to a funeral any other way, would you, Phil? 
get me something, a drink of water or something like that. The place swarming with things. Chintz curtains, plump upholstery, and Beverly Hills oriental knickknacks cluttering the Grand Rapids highboy. I walked over to the three-piece sectional. Toby Drake was lying there, her hand trailing down to the floor. I couldn't see her face until the big man stood up. Somebody wrapped that black silk stocking too tight around her neck. You wrapped the stocking? Look, Buster, a call came to headquarters and said get here because there was a dead girl named Toby Drake. There is. And all of a sudden you're here. Why? Something they have around this town. An agent. He's Toby's. Oh, agent. Well, well. Talk to me, agent. Uh, Sure, Lieutenant. Uh Uh-uh. Just Detective Koska, Lieutenant I'll never make. Go ahead. Well, it was like this. Johnny and me sit there at Scotty's chewing fat, and the phone was brought over, and the man on the other end says it's Mr. Fulton. And he says his girlfriend's dead. Honest, I'm broken up about this. Mm, Well, well, well. You wrap the stocking, agent? Johnny, he's Johnny Dollar. He's from the insurance. Well, well, well. You been hired, Dollar? Yeah, Twin City Insurance. And for me, too, Johnny. All the way, find out for me who killed Toby. Hired, huh? These guys employ you, huh? Well, well. Little balls there. You carry a gun, too. Oh, well, well. Yeah. Where's her boyfriend? In the bedroom. Named Roy Fulton. He hardly says a word to me. Go talk to him, Dollar. Go tell him it's okay. Talk to him. Who are you? Johnny Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. Toby's dead. She was murdered, Mr. Fulton. I'm trying to find out who did it. We had a date. I came here. I saw her. I didn't lose my head. I I called her agent and... Then I called the police. Did you kill her? No. No. But you should have been more careful. Girls like her. What kind of girl did you think she was? Very pretty. Just beautiful. Now no more. Toby. Just beautiful Toby. Mr. Fulton. Lost. Forever. Mr. Fulton. For always. I couldn't get through to him anymore. I gave him back to Casca and I got out of there. A few thoughts on Toby Drake. Toby, a kid who'd once maybe won a beauty contest. Expenses paid to Hollywood, shake hands with the stars. A nice kid. Pretty kid on her way, now dead. I bought a paper and went back to my hotel. The lobby desk came first. Hi, Mr. Dollar. Any calls for me, Judy? You got a call with a message, you want it? Why don't you come over here and give it to me, Judy? I've never seen you standing up. I'm taller. The message came in ten minutes ago. You want to reach for it? Shall I read it to you? Read it. Goes like this. First, Toby... 
Then Stella Martin. You can't stop at Dollar. First Toby, then Stella Martin. You had living, Miss Judy? Says right here. Who left the message? I took the call. The man said it and hung up. What uh, Stella Martin he mean, Mr. Dollar? I wish I knew, baby. You think maybe the starlet Stella Martin used to be a starlet? She's not around much anymore. Starlet, huh? How would I get in touch with a starlet, Judy? Oh, I know. Hand me that phone book. Come on. Who are you calling? A man who knows Starlet's past and present. Agent Phil Gardner. Oh. Not in, huh? Why don't you try Hollywood casting, Mr. Dollar? They'd know. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Stella Martin dropped from our ready file. Non-payment of dues. Well, it must be an address where you dunned her. 2001 Magnolia Avenue, Westchester. What, mister? Stella Martin. She live here? Uh-huh. You're who? Johnny Dollar. Investigations. You got a card that says that? Let's go inside, huh? Just you got a card, just show me. Miss Martin here? No card, huh? Suppose I say, yeah, she's here. And what happens? I said inside. Glad you did that, Sonny. Now I got a reason. Now cut it out. I just want to... You're smaller than you look. Oh, try me. got to my feet, fell down, then finally made it over to the hallway where there should have been a bathroom and a towel and some water. The thing that stopped me was the girl in the negligee. She was sitting on the floor against the wall. She was blonde and her head was turned to one side as if she was wondering about me. There was a stocking tied around her throat and she was dead. return to yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Now, with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. seen the dead girl a couple times in the jungle picture spliced between the main feature and the newsreel 
The girl in the South Sea apron who gets chased by the gorilla. I stopped trying to convince myself it wasn't real. It was real, all right. And I didn't need the pounding on the door to knock it into my head. I didn't need Detective Koska, either. What is this, Dollar? You on a rampage? Now, you want to know what happened, or you want to be a big man? Just be gentle with me. That's all I want you to do. Fifteen minutes ago, I was in a warm bed. So just be gentle. I got slugged. A man seven feet tall in a black leather Look, jacket. I spent five hours questioning Roy Fulton about the murder of this girlfriend of his, Toby. Nothing. I let him go. Then I climbed into this warm bed, and I was sleeping fine. Then Sergeant Hurd called. Seems someone phoned in this address to Sergeant Hurd. Now, uh... You were saying what, Dollar? She's in the hallway, propped against the wall. Show me. Sigh a deep sigh about the warm bed, Casca. She's young and she's strangled. And her name's Stella Martin. Uh, you want to clear it up for me? I got word about her. I came here and a guy clobbered me. I woke up a few minutes ago. Nobody gives me words, Dollar. Why you? I don't know why. If I knew why, I'd know who. You want to listen about a guy in a black leather jacket? Seven feet tall, huh? Yeah, about. Brown felt hat. Find him. That oughtn't to be tough for a big man like you. Uh, don't be sour on me, Dollar. You took some lumps. Uh, you see this, kid? What? Yeah. She's holding something in her hand. Well, hmm, well, now, well, well. Read it, Johnny. Read what it says. There'll be another one tomorrow, Dollar. Another one tomorrow, Dollar. Well, now. What makes me so popular, Casca? Why doesn't it say your name? Because it says Dollar. Because it says the name of a guy I stumble over when I get out of a warm bed. What am I going to do with you? Take you downtown and sweat you? Get out of here, Dollar. Get out. Then back into the rose-scented air and the suburban lawn now littered with friends and neighbors. And under the bright neon of the corner cut-rate drugs and sundries, the night-blooming hack stand. I took a cab to my hotel. No more messages, so I went to sleep. And the next morning, the sound of the telephone screaming the name of Phil Gardner, agent. Get here, it said. So I got there. Girls drop like flies where you walk, Dollar. I read the papers this morning, and you were there, and another one dropped. Now, what's the matter, Phil? Only yesterday we were in love, you and I. Well, now, don't ask me, Cap. We even be friends. It's a tired line from a tired guy. I don't like tired. Let me tell you something, Phil. I'm glad you called. You were going to be my first stop. Now, look, you were hired to maybe prevent Toby Drake's dying. And this you were a flopola, a stinkeroo. Then you stay on. Maybe you could come up with why Toby, a talented girl, had to die. Well, like I said, stinkeroo. On your feet, Phil. Now, now, keep away from me, Johnny. On your feet. Now, jo now we talk. I I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking. You killed Toby, oh, Phil? Oh, my arm, Johnny. Toby was on our way, maybe a star soon. Also with insurance, $50,000. Beneficiary, you. My arm. That why you killed her? Johnny. And all this big talk on the phone this morning. Get down here. Cover up talk, Phil. All right. And we'll try the name Stella Martin. 
I'll level with you. Just let go my arm. St Stella Martin, a three-months-ago pickup from Dorcas Drive-In on Santa Monica. A guy gets lonesome for a car hop like Stella. A friendly pickup, so help me. You did lovely, Phil. Now, one thing more. You know a man who wears a leather jacket who's seven feet tall? Somebody help me. I got a madman loose. Goodbye, Phil. You've made the morning even worse. I got to the drive-in on Santa Monica. A cowgirl with a menu and a pair of heavy-duty sheer dungarees threw a card on my windshield that said Phyllis on it. Dorcas, she asked back. Why, that's old Melv over that away. I moseyed on over to old Melv. Yeah, howdy. Johnny Dollar, insurance investigations. Milton Dorcas, shout out a fella. Howdy. Howdy. You the manager of this place, Melv? Yeah, top hand. Oh, what else? Huh? Oh, a tenderfoot talk. Don't let us throw you. I uh, need some information, Mel. Yeah, don't be a gravel kicker, son. Speak up. What's on your mind? Know a girl named Toby Drake, Mel? Yeah, no, dear. Used to work here. One named Stella Martin? Yeah, do the work this evening. She ain't gonna make it, though. She's dead. She and Toby. Choked. Seen it in the gazette. I need your help, Mel. Dipitize me. Well, I don't know. I just don't know. If you don't help, there's liable to be another dead girl. Peggy. Who? What's well, you, son? You got monkeys in your ears? I said Peggy. Peggy Brian. On account of them three girls were thickening the bobcat's tail. To tell. Yeah, thicker than that even. Peggy used to work here, too. Drove to work in Toby's Auto. You know where I can find Peggy? North Hollywood she lives in. You wait a bit. I'll dig up her address. You want to wait, son, or you got to be right none? I'll wait, Mel. Get away. Get away from me. Whoever you are, get away. Listen to me, Miss Bryan. I've come to help you. I'll kill you. I'll kill you before you kill me. Now, don't be crazy. Give me that gun. There. That's better. To kill me. That's why you come to kill me. Now, let's scream inside. We don't want to make talk for the neighbors. Inside, Peggy. Now, hush, hush, baby girl. Hush. You see? I let you go. There's nothing to be scared of. I'm here to help you, to keep it from happening, like it did to Stella and Toby. You understand what I'm saying, Peggy? Stella, Toby, they're dead. And now it'll be me. Why does it have to be you, Peggy? You don't know. You kill and you don't know why. Try to understand. I'm an insurance investigator. A lot of times I'm around when people die. Sometimes I get there sooner. Now help me. Help me, Peggy, so I can help you. That way will save us both a lot of pain. I'm so frightened. It's because I'm so frightened. Whoever killed Toby and Stella, why would they want to kill you? I... I know why. I think I know. Well, tell me, Peggy. 
The woman was killed. We killed her. Tell me about it. It was three years ago. Tell me. Stella and I, we had a little car. We used to take trips. Three summers ago, we took a trip to Oregon. One day. One day what? This woman crashed into us. It was her fault. Honest, it was her fault. And she was killed? Married woman. Young and pretty. And married. Police said it wasn't our fault. And let us go. Only reason. Why else would anyone want us dead? It's uh, Saturday, Peggy. What do you do with yourself on Saturdays? I shop for groceries. A new dress sometimes. We'll go buy a new one. You and me. And tonight. What do we do tonight? You mean you're asking me for a date? Uh-huh. What do we do tonight? Saturday nights, I usually go to Ocean Park. It's fun. Rides with people. It's fun. Sure it is. Saturday night, Ocean Park. We'll have fun. So I made a lot of phone calls. To my hotel to tell Judy I was going to Ocean Park with a girl named Peggy Bryan, in case anyone inquired. Then I called Agent Phil Gardner and let him know where I was going. Finally, I called Roy Fulton, Toby's boyfriend, and let him know all about my plans for the evening. And then I went shopping with Peggy Bryan and then took her to Ocean Park. Peggy Bryan, pigeon. Let's just walk for a while, Johnny. Whatever you say. You hungry, Peggy? Uh-uh. Let's go on the roller coaster. Sure. Peggy. Why? Just stand still for a moment. Look around you. Do you see anybody you know? No. I know what you're doing, Johnny. Why, sure. I'm on a Saturday night date with a nice girl. You think you'll find me here, Johnny? You want me to level, don't you? Is he going to kill me? I'm going to try to stop him, Peggy. Come on, let's eat. Two tickets, please. Thanks. Let's go, Peggy. Stay close to me, Johnny. A girl can get lost in the funhouse. Johnny. What's the matter, Peggy? Uh, nothing. I'm having such a good time. Ever been through that spinning barrel? Oh, I always fall down. I'll hold your hand. Johnny. What? That man, that man over there. He watched us buy our tickets. Which man? The tall one. Yeah, I see him. Peggy, walk through that spinning barrel. Fall down if you have to, but get right up and get out on the other side. Is he the one? Come on, I'm right in back of you. 
he's following us. Get out of this thing fast. I'm staying. I've been tearing you, Seamus. I've been waiting. <laughs> So help you me crazy, Seamus. Talk. You think I killed her? I didn't kill Stella. She was dead when I got there. I swear she was dead. Yeah, yeah, sure she and was. And you came in. I, I went crazy. I wanted to kill something to get even. And why are you following me? Because you're a Seamus. If we get to the killer, I want a piece of him. I didn't kill Stella. I was in love with her. You gotta believe me. You got to. <laughs> What's the matter? Come here! Look, come here! He was in the mirror, all right. Roy Fulton's reflection. Boyfriend of Toby. Long and thin as if he'd been squeezed together, which included the gun he was holding. I pulled Peggy down on the floor with me and grabbed for my gun. splintered in the front of his shirt. But he kept coming. Then the something caught up with him. Fulton, Fulton, are you... They killed my wife. They killed her. Expense account item four, 1995, to dress a pigeon named Peggy Bryan. Item five, $112 miscellaneous, hotels, meals, roller coaster ride, fun house, etc. Expense account total, $366.05. Remarks, pay Phil Gardner, agent, face value of $50,000 policy on Toby Drake. Well, all in all, from your point of view, my trip to Hollywood was a failure. From my point of view, I kept one girl out of three alive, and I was lucky at that. Luckier than you usually get in Hollywood. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin with music by Eddie Dunstetter. John Lund can currently be seen in the Universal International picture just across the street. Featured in tonight's cast were Raymond Burr, Dick Ryan, John McIntyre, Sidney Miller, Victor Perrin, Virginia Gregg, and Jeanette Nolan. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. <laughs> This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time when John Lund returns as yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Tomorrow, Gangbusters brings you on CBS Radio another true crime story, naming names and places, giving complete details on the operations of a ruthless criminal gang. 
showing you how the cops, after a bitter manhunt, put them out of business. Every Saturday night on most of these same stations, hear Gangbusters, the program that gives criminals wanted descriptions that help the public enforce the law and often collect rewards for their good citizenship. Gangbusters, Saturday nights on CBS Radio. Remember, you'll find Western Adventure and Music with Gene Autry, Saturday evenings on the CBS Radio Network. Welcome back. I had listened to the McCoy before, but I didn't listen to the McCoy in conjunction with the Starlet Manor. And doing so, explain some notes in the Starlet Manor that really kind of seemed odd at the time. It should be said that this episode aired two months into John Lund's run as Johnny Dollar. And as we talked about at the time, the series really struggled to give Lund's take on Dollar his own unique voice. And so the character sounded different from episode to episode. That would all get straightened out. But that's definitely an issue here so early in Lund's time. They would take more care in the future when they adapted stories from previous Johnny Dollars or from other programs. But one exchange they really should have cut was near the beginning when Phil offered Johnny a ride to the scene in his Cadillac with the top down. In the McCoy... Phil was trying to talk to someone who he knew had feelings for a woman who was just murdered and might be reluctant to come over and look at her body. And he's trying to do everything he can to get him to come. And of course, the McCoy knows Phil a bit. And so they've got an existing relationship that kind of makes that work. In the Starlet Manor, Phil's talking to an insurance agent who's a complete stranger and has a job to do, so it's weird to make the offer about driving him there with the top down. And Johnny's statement that Phil wouldn't go to a funeral any other way is also weird and inappropriate to say to someone you just met who lost a client they were personally fond of. Points to Sidney Miller for being the only actors to appear in both versions and in the same role, no less. I kind of wonder whether if even he remembered he'd done the first one. For many radio actors who get cast in the same sort of roles, they all blend together. So he might have had a, this script seems a bit familiar moment. One cut I did think was good with this one is they got rid of Roy Fulton reciting this sonnet, which was a bit over the top. Also cut the flirty part from the conversation with the talent agency, which 
made that one of those little conversations which probably should have just been exposited. And the only other weird thing adaptation is that the accent of the actor who played the boss at the Western restaurant was way off. You know, they were originally written for Barton Yarborough, who had that Texas accent, and you would want someone like with a Texas or Western accent. But this guy had a New England accent and was trying to deliver these lines. It was odd. One addition I really liked is Johnny's closing line, which is really appropriate. And it was one aspect that was original, and it also rang true to the tone of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, particularly going forward. Looking at both episodes, and they shared a common plot, listening to both of them back-to-back, -back, I have a lot of problems with the plot, particularly the timing of the second murder. Detective Costa held Roy Fulton for some time, and Fulton was apparently supposed to have taunted Johnny and slash the McCoy and then killed Stella Martin before they could find her house. Given several hours of questioning and the way that everything's spread out in the Los Angeles area, the whole thing seems improbable. It's also never explained why Fulton did the taunting notes. Even more puzzling, why he addressed them McCoy or Johnny. It was also weird the degree to which the McCoy, and particularly Johnny, got blamed for not solving the case somehow. Johnny gets off the plane, and the first murder has already occurred by the time that he meets Phil. And then the second murder happens before he's able to locate Stella Martin in a strange city. And then he shows up at Phil's office and gets this whole song and dance about how it's his fault for being a lousy detective. And it's funny because I was talking on Tuesday about how, as a rule, the New York audio dramas tended to have bigger elements of melodrama. I guess what we got here was the exception that proved the rule. I should note that the germ of this story actually goes back even further than this to an episode of Pursuit, which was also written by Fine and Friedkin from November 2nd, 1949, the second episode of that series to air. Uh, they also had the notes in that story, which were also not explained. Now, I will say that the details vary a lot on the first story. It was about three men who accidentally killed a woman while flying a plane on BAE Day and was set in London with a case investigated by Inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard. Even though the differences were stark, I did think about making this a thrust hold story just to show how a story can develop, but really didn't want to detract from talking about the McCoy. Eventually, I think we'll do one of uh, these specials that show more than the evolution of a story over two episodes, just not today. All right, well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. 
And I want to go ahead and thank Dwayne. Dwayne has been one of our Patreon supporters since June of 2023, currently supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Dwayne. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. We will be back next Sunday with our final listener support slash appreciation special. But join us back here tomorrow for the Adventures of the Falcon, where... Hello? Hello, is that Michael Waring, the Falcon? Yes, this is the Falcon speaking. How do you do, Mr. Waring? This is James Calloway. Something dreadful has happened. Frightful. I don't know how to... Uh, can you come over here right away? Over where? Forest Jewelers. I, uh, it's fantastic, but I'm suspected of robbery. Fantastic. Well, nothing like a little fantasy now and then. All right, Caraway, I'll be over. And, uh, you will, of course, bring references. Will I? Well, I've heard you're a competent detective, but this is a highly important matter. Great deal at stake. And I must be sure I'm dealing with a completely trustworthy and capable person. You have my word for it. No need for references. Uh, nevertheless, I prefer to see the references. You doubt my word? I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.